Well, uh, today we're continuing to dive into our series, our sermon series on prayer. As a, a community, uh, we've been asking the questions uh, for the last many months. What is, what is prayer? How do we enter into the, the heart of God? Uh, what kind of things does it take to, to, to build up a desire to pray? And if you've missed any of them, any of the sermons and want to catch up, they're all online on the website. So feel free to, to go there and to catch them up. But today we're going to be talking, uh, making a kind of a, a specific shift in the, the sermon series. We're going to be talking, uh, for, for the many, past many weeks, I've been talking about stoking the desire to pray. Some of us want to have the desire to pray, but it's just not there. Or others of us um, don't have that desire. And so I've been talking about what makes the desire to pray, because if we don't have the desire to pray, we're never going to do it. Uh, but we're going to make a shift now from that into more of the school of prayer. How do we do it? What are, what are the, the nuts and bolts of praying? Uh, how do we get into the rhythms of it? And what, what do we say once we get into a space where we're trying to pray? And um, hopefully we'll be able in the next many weeks to answer some of those questions for you. And uh, in the meantime, this is uh, King David up here. We're gonna be joining for the next many weeks as well, King David in his way of prayer. So you'll see this picture uh, as, as it goes. Um, let's see. So far, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to recap about 30 sermons for you if you haven't paid attention. Not that much. I'm, I'm, that's, that's maybe 15. Uh, so far, I've asked you to, if anything, pray your heart out with simplicity. If there's the only way to begin praying is begin praying. So whatever comes to mind, whatever comes to your heart, we don't have to be complex. It doesn't have to be the right words. Just pray. And some of you have been telling me, Keith, I've been doing that for the first time in my life. I've been actually praying to God, bringing my thoughts to him, whatever comes to mind, which is awesome. Uh, learn to connect the Psalms up to your life. The Psalms are, are the great prayers of the Christian and Jewish scriptures. And they're in the Old Testament. There's 150 of them. And they're the great prayers of our tradition. So learn to connect them up to your life by connecting their emotions and the sentiments in these prayers up to your own experiences. If anything, try reading five a day. Just get into the Psalms. Read five of them a day. It's a good practice that will get you into the, right into the heart of the life of prayer. Uh, once you've done that, pick a psalm that you really love. Write out the themes of the psalm and then write your own version of it. Paraphrase it or write a piece of poetry. And some of you have done that and that's awesome. Um, a life of prayer awakened and mature learns to follow its emotions in the direction of God. Okay, B a basic point. If you want to learn to pray, follow your emotions wherever they go. It's a dangerous thought, but follow them in the direction of God. Lift them up to him. And if anything, prayer is like human and divine words colliding in the dark. And sometimes we think, oh, it's just, if we pray, the heavens are going to open, the, the, sun's, the, 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 the sun shines, gonna, the rays of light of sun are going to break through, and I'm going to hear God's voice. Sometimes that happens. It hasn't happened to me ever like that. Sometimes I get clarity, but when I pray, it's more oftentimes misty and dark. And God's words and our words are colliding somewhere in between. And so I talked about the desire to pray, humility. We want to ask the question, what builds up our desire? Humility. God, the, the scriptures tell us that God answers and hears the hearts of the humble. We have these 
feelings of dependency that we need to stoke and to, to realize. And oftentimes when life is going well and we got this and we feel like we, we don't need anyone, we have no desire to pray, why would we? But when it all comes crashing down or when we've left our own, um, we've left our life to rely on our own strength and power and it all blows up, okay, when we realize we're dependent, um, that builds up the desire. We need to be in tune with our emotions. How many people here are really in tune with their emotions? <laughs> a couple people. Good, good for you. The rest of us have some work to do, right? So, I mean, like in the moment, when we're experiencing something, is it fear? Is it embarrassment? Is it shame? Is it, is it uh, feelings of hatred? Is it, what's the, feelings are so complex. You go online now and type in feeling circle, and there's a circle of like 72 feelings that come up and they categorize them. If you have a hard time catching your feelings and knowing what you're feeling, go to that and learn some feeling words because we need them to dis- for prayer. We need to know what we're feeling. Now, the next two here I'm going to just read out to you, but be, be very careful to also teach because if you miss this, I've spent many weeks on this point and I just want to recap this. this is, by the way, this is the last time I'm going to recap the fall, so if you want that on your phones, now's a good chance. Um, feeling that you are worth God's time. Are you, do you feel that you're worth God's time? Do you feel that, that, um, that he wants to, to get to spend time with you and know you? You have to feel that you're worth his time if you're going to pray. But at the same time, you're going to have to recognize that you don't deserve his attention. And if you struggle with feeling worth God's time, that second point is going to trigger you. And it's going to hit you hard. Because some of you might, right now in the life of prayer, you might not need to um, work on the feeling of worthlessness. You've got that down. <laughs> work on the feelings of feeling worth his time. But at the end of the day, the prayer life and the desire to pray is not going to happen if you also don't recognize that you don't deserve his attention. Jesus illustrates this perfectly with a story. He says, two people, two men came up to the, the, the temple to pray. One of them a Pharisee who was confident in their own righteousness. And the other one, a tax collector, scum of the earth. The first one raised their hands to heaven and said, thank you, God, that I fast twice a week and that I give a tenth of my offering to this temple and that I'm not like these, the scum of the earth over here. And the other one wouldn't even come close but stood back, wouldn't even bring themselves to lift their eyes up to heaven but, but prayed, um, Jesus or Father, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. Which one do you think Jesus pointed to as the example of the good prayer? So Jesus, if we don't have a sense that we're worth God's time, we're not going to pray, but that has to come coupled always in harmony with the sense that we need mercy uh, and that we need mercy in order to approach him uh, and that we have to have the conviction that prayer matters, that somehow, mysterious as it is, God gives us work to do. We are partners with him and that prayer is part of that work and that it's this sort of, uh, not combating, but sometimes it feels like we're combating with God, but it's this combination of us praying and God working that gets the job done, that helps to build his kingdom. And and, and, uh, prayer matters. And how does this work? How do these desires work inside of us? We have to start by praying with other people. When we pray with other people, uh, this, these desires get, get stoked. And we have to be inspired by the great prayers, especially Jesus and the psalmists. Now the thing about Jesus and his prayers and the thing about the psalmists is they're ancient. It's an ancient tradition. 
I mean, think about 2,000 years worth of history between us and the teachings of Jesus and more thousands of years between us and the Psalms. These are ancient, steadfast, time-tested instructions. I don't know about you, but when I want something to trust my life to, I want something that lasts. I want something that's lasted over many generations and with people from all parts of the world who believe in this stuff and give themselves to this. And so when we come to Jesus' praying, it's like this. This is Angkor Wat in, uh, is it Cambodia? I think it's in Cambodia. I was there in 2005. It was one of the most amazing things I've ever seen. This system of ancient temples that were covered in the forest. And in in the 1900s, the French um, found Angkor Wat this ancient civilization, this ancient system of temples and cut the, the, um, the, forage, the, the forest back, but they left the trees that were growing on top of the temple. Can you imagine this? At some point, a bird dropped a seed on top of a, t- a building in human civilization and it grew into a tree like that on top of it. And when we think about the school of prayer to me, this, this illustrates this perfectly. This right here, by the way, is about six feet high. If I stand next to it, I come about to hear. Um, the school of prayer is like, like this. It's ancient. Jesus built his teaching on prayer right on top of something way more ancient than him. On top of David and his prayer tradition, the Jewish prayer tradition. This, this symbolizes the, the great Jewish prayer tradition. And this is going to symbolize in our minds Jesus' school of prayer. He planted it right on top of David's David's prayer tradition. So what we're doing from now until the, I don't know, kingdom come, we're going to be entering and we're going to be wandering through these ancient ruins. And we're going to be learning about prayer in the way of David. And as we do so, we're going to also see how Jesus built his, his life of prayer right on top of it. So Jesus establishes the school of prayer in the ruins of David's prayer life. When he prays, our Father, we, we kind of know this one. This is sort of endured in our civilization, our Father. Um, his disciples are asking him, Jesus, how do we pray? Teach us to pray. John taught his disciples, teach us now. And Jesus gives them a template. He gives them some words which are brand new in a way. He's going he's gonna to give them a template to pray through. But if, if you know the Psalms, and if you sent at any time in the Psalms, each piece as you pray through, you're going to recognize Jesus is combining Psalms. He's combining themes. He's condensing David's great tradition into one template. Our Father, you're in heaven. How many Psalms say that? Go count that. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So many themes of the Psalm rushing into that phrase. Give us today our daily bread. Give us what we need, God. Forgive us. We need forgiveness. We've done some stuff that needs forgiveness. Forgive others too. God, don't lead us into temptation because we know what's going to happen when we go there. But protect us from all evil forces and everything that would come against us. This is David, friends. This is David. Jesus is standing on top of his ancestor when he's teaching us to pray. And so we've got to know a little bit about David. What made David so powerful in his, in his psalms? Now, David, in the scriptures, gets one of the longest, most uninterrupted stories. You read from the beginning of 1 Samuel through 2 Samuel. You read 1 Chronicles through 2 Chronicles. You get the life of David. It's like longer than Jesus' story in the scriptures. 
Why is that? Why does David get so much prolonged attention? And here's, here's what it is. Um, David, David's life was most characterized, not by David, but by God. He lived and breathed God. Um, he thought about God. He believed in God. He imagined God. He addressed God. He prayed to God. He was a God noticer. He noticed God in life, and he was a God namer. He named God everywhere he went. Um, I love in you. I live in you. I run to you. I love you. David, David was most alive in his life when he was wrestling and dealing with God. In fact, he learned this great lesson that until we wrestle with God, until we grapple with God regularly in our life, we're not really truly alive. And David recognized that when he wasn't doing that, when he wasn't wrestling with God, his life wasn't, his life wasn't making sense. It just tanked. And I think David gets so much exposure because he was so immersed in God. Uh, now, here's the thing. Um, if you want to look at David historically, he was an Iron Age barbaric chieftain. I mean, he did some bad stuff. David was not a cool dude sometimes. And he lived within his day, and we'll talk about this as weeks, weeks go on, but uh, one of the most profound things about David is he does um, so many awful things. But the scriptures tell us that he was a man after God's own heart. And for that, God chose him and talked with him and loved him. But every event with David, his whole life was a confrontation with God. And isn't that a great way to think about our prayer life? Walking and figuring out how everything we do can be a confrontation with the God. So what we're going to do today, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about um, his love for God and what that teaches us about beginning to pray. Here we go, Psalm 63, a Psalm of David. I'm just gonna read this out, two slides here. This is when he was in the wilderness of Judah. He was not there on vacation. He was pushed out by an evil king who was wanting to come kill him. So you can tell a little bit about that scenario by reading this prayer. Oh God, David prays, you are my God. I seek you, my soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory, because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. I will lift my hands and call on your name. My soul is satisfied as with a rich feast, and my mouth praises you with joyful lips when I think of you on my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. For you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I sing for joy. My soul, it clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. But those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be prey for jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exult, for the mouth of the liars will be stopped. Yeah. We'll, we'll get into some of these prayers of retribution and what their place is in the life of the Jesus follower. But you can see David is just longing after God. He, his whole life is centered around God. He, he thirsts for God. He hungers for God. If there's anything that David wants more than anything in the world is God. And his whole life is built around that. 
And so we see that David's life of prayer was far more about making contact with the Father than about asking for things. Our, our prayer life tends to devolve into asking for things because we feel sometimes like we're, we, we're not getting what we want or we, we're, just, we're supposed to pray for things. If our life, prayer life isn't oriented to this whole experience of wanting to make contact with God, we're off course. We're, off, we're, not, we're not into the school of David's kind of prayer and Jesus's. Now, one of the things that here that we talk about regularly at Grassroots is Jesus's selfless love. And we, we, we have a cross up here because it symbolizes it to us. We want so desperately not just to know Jesus and to know his love, but to encounter him. We want his love that was shown on the cross to come through us like we're stained glass windows and change us and make us into new people and, and, to, and to shine his light on the world and to show the world his selfless love. And we're not going to be able to do that in, without the life of prayer. We talked about that last week. But also, we recognize that we need to spend time with him and encounter him regularly if we're going to do that. He's the master of selfless love, and so he comes through us. So if, we're just, if we just spend time asking God for things, that whole aspect of being transformed and learning to be selfless lovers and learning to show Christ to the world, we're going to have to make some contact with him. First contact. So anyway, as we move on, um, David illustrates this in many psalms. Like for example, Psalm 9. Vindicate me, Lord, according to my righteousness. There he goes again, praying for vindication. According to my integrity, almost high. Bring an end to the violence of the wicked and make the righteous secure. You, the righteous God, who probes minds and hearts. David is fully aware that God is close and watching and probing and seeing and testing each human being that lives on this earth. And at the same time, what does this evoke in David? He's not like, oh, don't look at me, God, don't run away. This is what it evokes in Psalm 27, one of the greater Psalms of David. I hear my, vo hear my voice when I call, Lord, be merciful to me and answer me. My heart says of you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my helper. In response to this scary, weird feeling that an invisible being, an all-powerful being is watching you, David responds with, seek his face back. Look back. Ponder and search after him. And so we, we see that prayer in the way of David is seeking the God who you believe sees you. That's David's kind of praying. It's simple, but it takes discipline. And here's the tricky thing. Once you get into it, once you like are, are desiring to pray, you've carved out some space, you fold your hands and close your eyes, wanting to make contact with the living God. It's like you've entered into a vast meadow or, or there's, there's trees maybe perhaps and, and, and you just keep going and it's, and it's an immense space. And the first time you get in, you're like, what do I do here? And you start building little sticks like kids who are playing in the wilderness or making a little dam in a stream. And I want to stay here before I go in for, further into any of this. That if that, that's your experience, if you, if you finally get to yourself into a place of wanting to pray and getting some time to pray and you realize, I don't know what to do. That's okay. I'm not going to be in the next many weeks offering up a vision of prayer for monks and nuns. There are, there are, there are people who spend their life becoming expert in experts in prayer and they, they learn to build great cathedrals of prayer inside 
And David, of course, was one of them. He was one of the best. And if you don't find yourself becoming like that kind of prayer when you pray, it's okay. It's enough if, if we find a little bit of time and space to come and seek God's face and to pray our heart to him. But for those of you who want to give it a try, to build something there, to build something maybe that stands together. That's what this next many weeks is about, is to show you how to build something beautiful of you inside this space. And it's, the op- opportunities are endless. You can be, the sky's the limit. You can be as creative as you are unique. What you do there is up to you. But there's some universal elements. There's a preparatory phase an active phase, and a passive phase in the school of David. The, the preparatory phase is like a, a, an athlete stretching. You can't just go run a mile without stretching. You need to prep yourself. The active phase is more like your mind's, your mind's working on something. You are um, trying to figure out what your emotions are, and you're praying to God. You are offering up your needs to him. You are following Jesus' temple of prayer and working through that and weaving your thoughts in and out of that. You're going to be meditating on scripture and letting that guide you along. And that almost is the, the most substantial part of David's prayer life. You, have, you prep, you have this active phase, which I'll teach you how to do. But then there comes the passive phase, which all of that activity ends and our hearts get quieted and we make contact with the living God. Now, I think most of us have a bit of an experience with this active phase. We've given it a try, but I think few of us really have known how to prep and how to enter into the passive state of making contact with God. And what can happen is, is because we don't have this passive experience of making contact with the living God, we can get restless. The experience of prayer can be cold and dry, and no wonder we give up. And no wonder we don't make, build our life around prayer. It's because we, we don't experience God. And so a huge piece of this, where this all leads in the life of David, David's school of prayer, of Jesus' way of praying, is making contact. And it's going to take many weeks to unfold this. But today, just we're going to finish off with these essential, important lessons about preparation. What I mean by this is when we sit down and when we carve out some space to pray... And when we take our first deep breath, what, how do we start? How do we make a good start so that we might get through to that making contact with God phase? There's some things that you can do to make a good start. Um, and we're going to look into some of David's prayer here for this. But I'm talking about taking deep breath, closing your eyes, and um, being ready to, to recollect Verse 6, remember, from Psalm 63 that we just read. On my bed, David says, I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night because you are my help. I sing in the shadow of your wings. I cling to you. Your right hand upholds me. David's testifying here. I mean, he's saying that when he's stirring at nighttime, when he's restless and cannot sleep, when he's awake in the middle of the night, um, He's thinking about God, and he's doing so because God's the one who's going to help him. He's going to have this experience of clinging to God. What is that like? What does that feel like to cling to God? Have you ever had an experience that like that, where you cling to God as you cling to the edge of a rock face that you might fall down 100 feet and lose your life? 
Have you ever clung to God in that way? That's what David's doing here. And what he's, what he's saying, if you read the rest of the Psalms and get into David's life, he's saying that he's going to find a way to put his full attention on God. Clinging to God is like every aspect of you, that uh, bodily aspect of you is going to be quieted and you're going to give attention to God. Your mind, which races, is going to be quieted and you, you, you turn your attention to God. And uh, the, your to-do lists, um, the things that your responsibility, all of that is going to get quieted. Now, this kind of worked. <laughs> it didn't work great. I didn't test this out beforehand. I don't know if you can tell, but Man, this is a little bit more clear than when it started. Can you guys see over there? I put some potting soil. Oh, by the way, this is one of our um, water containers. I will clean and bleach this. <laughs> this isn't, this isn't going to be contaminated next week. Um, our days are so filled with crap, right? Like... Our days, our days are so filled with so much, and it's just like someone keeps putting soil into our, the soul, our souls, and it gets stirred up, and we get so murky. And, so, and, and if we come to prayer and trying to turn our attention to God, and our souls are murky, it's not going to go well. We need some time in our life of prayer at the beginning of our prayer experience to let the dust settle. And yeah, it's not super clear. It's not like clear water, but you can see a little bit through it. That's how we need to be as human beings before we try to get to contact with God. Psalm 31 is another one of David's great psalms. I have calmed myself and quieted my ambitions. I am like a weaned child with its mother. I'm like a weaned child and I'm content. That beautiful imagery. Beautiful imagery. Think of a, a, of a baby who's just gazing up because they're content. They're, they're fully fed and they're quieted. And David said, that's, that's how I get myself into that state when I come into the presence of God. And so in order to full, fully turn our attentions to God, we need a phase at the beginning where we're recollecting and calming ourselves. Uh, he continues on, or he starts that Psalm 63. God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. And he uh, uh, add, add this to his words in Psalm 4.4. Tremble and do not sin. When you are on your beds, search your heart and be silent. Friends, if we sit down to try to pray, and if we try our best to recollect and get ourselves quiet, we're going to need a whole life that's marked by peace. Tremble and do not sin. When you are on your beds, search your Facebook accounts and not be, on, not be silent. I don't, know, I don't know about how many of you like, okay, it's 9.30, I'm going to bed, I'm going to spend the next half hour searching my heart. <laughs> no, like we flip and we scroll and we read and we all get in a bundle. David's like, if, you're gonna want, if you think you're going to come to prayer with your life all jumbled up, if you live a life full of anxiety and full of um, striving, it's never going to get clear. Our whole life has to be built in a way where we can sit down at some point of our day and clear and get clear. Um, here, here's what we also need to do. I'll, I'll show this on the next slide. Psalm 63, 2. And he continues on here. I've seen you in the sanctuary, right? David's like thirsting for God. He's longing for God. That's 
All that he wants is to have a contact with God. I have seen you in the sanctuary and behold your power and your glory because your love is better than life. How, much, how many of us can honestly say that phrase? My whole life I'm searching after so much. God, you are better than that. I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. I will be fully satisfied with you, God, as with the richest of food. With singing my lips, the lips of my mouth will praise you. Um, the world throws so many appeals to us through advertising, through um, the things we buy, through the shows that we watch. We are bombarded with appeals, the things which would, would try to take that centerpiece of our life. David gets his whole life in order in a way in which he says, all of those things which I seek after, which I'm, I'm running after like, it's, for, like it, my whole life depends upon it, that's, God, you are, you are so much more compared to that. Every, that's so little. And so what, what we need in the life of prayer in order to, to be able to recollect ourselves and to get past the anxious, active, active side of our praying, we need a whole life that is marked with peace. And what I mean by this is when you go about your day, have a manageable to-do list. Have your day marked with peace. Don't do more than you can. When, the, when, when things come at you like you're... Like, Sometimes I think like, oh man, I'm working, I'm working, I'm getting fatigued right now, I need to take a break, click Facebook. That's so exhausting. Why, why do I try to refresh myself with that? It's like I've just dipped a rag of water into this dirt and I'm like, oh, I just need some, let me get my face cleaned off. And it's all muddy again. You know, you know what I'm talking about, right? Like, Go throughout your day marked with peace. The great prayer masters of our Christian tradition talk about this. They say, uh, do your work, work hard, um, but take intervals of peace. Take and rest and do some small praying throughout the middle of the day so that when you get out home and the kids are in bed and you just have like five minutes of time before you're exhausted, um, use those five minutes well uh, by being ready to calm yourself. The, 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 the prayer, life of prayer in the school of David is like that. Resist, resist the appeals of the world. I love this quote. The more they advertise the world, this was written in the 60s, it's so relevant. The more they advertise, the less we get. Eventually we will all consist of the noise that is made and there will be no satisfaction left in the world except of vain hopes and anticipations that can never be fulfilled. This just pins our world down. It tries to keep us so attached to so many things. Um, the same author in a different book says it like this. They learned that to distance themselves in their life from everything which would destroy them. If you can think of things that are destroying you and things that are clouding your mind, you gotta distance yourself from them. Now, I know that's a Pandora's box of teaching, but I think if you take that and apply it to your own life, you'll, you'll find some things to be worked on. Uh, so here, here, here it is. Just a few sentences to sum this all up. In order to pray, in order to make contact with God, we must calm our minds enough to turn our whole attention to him. In order to quiet our minds enough to make contact with God, we must not let our minds run wild all day long. There's got to be some discipline throughout the day. And in order not to let our minds run wild all day long, we must learn to resist the many appeals that the world gives to us. Okay? This is the start, the start of it all. 
we must live in an atmosphere of faith. This is what I'm talking about, of rhythms of peace throughout the day. We must take no interest in that which is not beneficial. This is a hard exercise. Find out everything in your life that's not beneficial to you. It might be good, but it's not beneficial, and cut it out. Resist advertisements and resist the futile appeals. Uh, so recollection, turning our attention to God. Just very basic, the very basic point here. Um, when I get down to start praying, and I close my eyes and fold my hands and take a deep breath, the first thing I do is ask for help. God, I am a mess of, I'm like this. I'm like a mess of dirt and water. Help me to have the grace to pray. Give me your grace of the, the gift of prayer today. If we don't start by asking God to help us pray, friends, nine times out of ten, I guarantee it won't go anywhere. And I love this prayer too, because when I sit down to pray and I ask God to help me to pray, give me the grace to pray, and it's been five minutes and I'm not praying anymore, but I'm now just working, I, I recognize, oh yeah, I can't do this on my own. I, this takes grace. This takes God's gift. If you, if you want to make a good start in praying, ask God to help you to pray. That's, a, that's, that's an essential piece of the puzzle. Breath prayers. Sometimes, because I'm so anxious and full of so much junk, I spend a minute breathing in, and I think of all the good things that I want in my life, and hopefully I can aspire to David someday, and when I breathe in, and God, you are better than life. And when I breathe out, I breathe out all the crap. God, I'm anxious about this. I can't handle this. This person's annoying me. I can't, I'm struggling with this. I'm never going to, all of that bundle, I just, Imagine it going out with my breath. That's, that's one way to, to start recollecting. Um, the third way I do this is I find the pain and I invite Jesus in. Fold my hands, I close my eyes. I'm going to give a prayer a try. Jesus, give me the grace to pray today. <clears throat> breathe in, breathe out. God, I'm feeling my bodily pain. I'm actually feeling a pain in my back. I'm not, I'm not getting charismatic here. Just listen. I'm, I'm feeling a pain in my back. Jesus, I invite you into that pain. Calm that, whatever that is. I start with my body. And then I get into the spiritual things, so the inside, the mind, the emotions. God, I'm, I'm feeling anxious, and that's, I'm feeling lots of pain in this spot, in this memory, in this hope. Come, Jesus, come into that. And the whole point of this clarifying exercise at the very beginning is simply to get our minds clear. It's a little more clarity to make contact with God. Um, God, I'm turning my body and my spirit and my mind and emotions. I'm calming everything down and I'm turning my full attention to you. Before I get to the active phase, this is what I'm doing, friends. Um, and I invite you, have a preparation phase in your praying. It does wonders. Next time, um, I'm going to talk a little bit more about this all. A little bit more about the sincerity and a little bit of teaching on how to set up a little bit of a space throughout the day. Praying isn't totally profound. It's not rocket science. You just have to want to do it, and then you have to do it. And you, have, you can learn a few things in the, in the meantime, and it can uh, enhance this experience for you. So friends, I continue inviting you into the school of prayer. We'll be in it for many weeks to come. And um, if you are wanting to learn more or to struggle through this, I have some time in the week to have coffee. Um, 
and uh, we can get, get you in the calendar and we can talk about this. Or find a friend or join a home group. Home groups are a place in which um, the community of people are learning these practices. Home group isn't like a Bible study. It's more like community trying to make contact with God together and learning those skills of discerning him. Uh, if you want to be in a home group, we have a train that comes by every six months at this point. You get to get on the train before it leaves. Uh, the, the train is leaving the station on January 24th. Um, if you want to be in a home group, come to the dessert night. You'll hear this uh, in the next many weeks. Come to dessert night on the 24th, 7 p.m. We'll talk about home groups um, and what they're about, and then we can get you into one. Um, I invite you, friends, in general, uh, into the school of prayer. And whatever God has inspired in you today, I'm not sure exactly what that is. It's always different for everyone. But now's the time where we can respond we can ask God to uh, give us more insight or we can thank him for something he said to us or we can even rail back at him all the angry emotions we might be feeling. This is, we have two songs in which the community together is approaching him again and responding to whatever he's doing. And whatever he's done in you, it, it's, it's valid, it's true. Um, so um, whether you need to um, have more healing in your life or whether you just want to desire to desire to pray, we take a piece of bread and we dip it in the juice every week because Jesus taught us that this thing is so hard. We wander so far away from God. Our life of prayer just tanks every time we really try to get it going. We're so dependent upon him that we need to remember that when he was on his cross showing us what selfless love looked like, when he was standing in the way of all of the sin and death which would want to destroy us, he was praying. His heart was in prayer and in the Psalms and in one of David's Psalms. So he tells, tells us every, every week when you get together, take a piece of bread, dip it in the juice and take the bread and juice into me and digest it once again like you want to digest me. So friends, the table is set and everyone here is welcome.